Okay, um, go ahead and flip your chairs around. Don't flip them, just turn them around this way. Hey, uh, also, just, uh, just a little help with that question up there. Sometime the next few days, you're bound to be around people you either don't know or the conversation gets kind of stale or you get tired of talking about football all the time. This, asking questions like this can generate good conversation around table and in car rides and stuff like that. Maybe even of people that you think you know well, but you don't know all their stories. So, uh, you know, fold that up and put it in your pocket and pull it out when you get into a stale conversation this week or something. Or, or just a conversation you want to kind of go a little deeper in because it's interesting when you hear people's stories. So, hey, let me pray and then we're going to uh, look into God's word today. God, we, um, you know our stories. You know every one of us. You know what's going on in our hearts today. You know what's going on this past week. You know what was going on in our lives when we were nine years old. You know if there was joy. You know if there was sadness. You know if there was pain. You know if there was pleasure. You know every uh, part of our lives. And now as we look into your word and look at the Christmas story, God, we want to be people who our story intersects with your story because we want to be part of a larger story because we need that we need the freedom and the peace that your story brings to us and we ask this all in christ's name amen um we said we're going to look into scripture but before that we're going to do something uh look at a comic strip here so i don't know how to transition that i thought let's look into god's word but let's look to calvin and hobbes first um, any Calvin Hobbes fans out there? I'm really sad. The guy, do you know that the guy who does Calvin Hobbes doesn't put any of that on t-shirts or mugs or anything. He's anti any of that. So one Christmas I tried to find a Calvin and Hobbes t-shirt for one of my kids and they don't exist. Or if they do, they're illegal. Whatever. So anyway. All right. This is a Calvin Hobbes comic. And uh, boy, I tell you, my eyes are awful. <laughs> my wife keeps telling me. Calvin says, boy, if it, uh, if it wasn't so close to Christmas... I'd pound you good. And then Hobbes says, yeah, I'd like to see you try. Oh, no, no, you're not tempting me. I want every item on my Christmas list, so I'm being good no matter what the provocation. All right, it goes on. Next one. Here comes Susie Durkins. If you know Calvin Hobbes, Susie's his arch nemesis. Really? Quick, help me find a pine cone. I can throw it. No, 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 I'm being good. I'm being good. I'm being good. And then Hobbes says, you'll never make it till Christmas. Give up now and enjoy yourself. All right? Next one. There's two of them. This is a continuation. Hi, Calvin. Are you bringing uh, your stuffed tiger to school today? No, he's just keeping me company while I wait for the bus. And oh, But actually, he's been nothing but trouble today. He's trying to sabotage my Christmas by making me be bad instead of good. Unfortunately, uh, I asked Santa for such great presents that I can withstand any temptation. I'm being an absolute angel. Well, what did you ask for? A heat-seeking guided missile. I figure five minutes with one of those babies will make up for this whole rotten month. All right? And, and you, you know, you read, you, there's a whole series of comic strips just with Calvin and Christmas. And the tension he's feeling about, I want to be good, but I also want to be me. And so the question or the statement I'll point out is, is that Christmas isn't always simple. Because in Calvin's case, I, I want this, but I want this. And we want to have this picture of Christmas where we can be good, and we, but we don't always, it doesn't always happen in our lives. We want this picture of Christmas, and I've said this the last few weeks, where we can have the manger scene and all the soft music behind it, 
and all the Hallmark Christmas stories and Hallmark Christmas pictures. But the reality is, Christmas isn't always that way. Christmas isn't always easy and simple and warm and nostalgic. Sometimes there's parts of the Christmas story, your Christmas story, that aren't what we expect it to be. My guess is there's some of you, and when the Christmas season is over, there's times where you fall into mild kind of depression or you're sad that it's over. And in some cases, you had an expectation, and this is me sometimes, I have an expectation of Christmas that is unrealistic. It's not really, uh, it can't happen because I, I, I so much want everything to be perfect. So what we're going to do today, you should have on your seats, everybody should have a copy of uh, page 734 in the New Living Translation Bible that has the red cover like we have in the back of the blue covers. And everybody should have a red pen. And uh, I'm going to have you mark some things on here. But we're going to read through it first because I want to read the Christmas story. And I want you to, when we read through it, and I, I know you can't see this, on the words on the screen. That's why I gave you on your chairs, okay? So if, if you can't see that, you're not as blind as I am, all right? You just, it's too small. But we're going to, what I want you to read when, we read, when I read through this, I want you to see parts of the story that are less than the expectation of, that you and I might have. In other words, if you and I were God... How would we have done the story? Because I think there's things in this story that, frankly, me, for me, they unsettle me a little bit. And I wish it could be cleaner, nicer, softer, smoother, warmer. Just like I wish my life was that way. All right? Now, uh, go to the next slide for a second. Just in, in terms of just, uh, for those of you who maybe are not totally aware of some of the geography in Israel, just to get a sense. Nazareth is up in the north in the red little square there. It's about 70 miles north of Jerusalem, which is down in the lower square. So what's 70 miles from here? Louisville, Kentucky, maybe? To give you some. And then Bethlehem is like five miles outside of Jerusalem. All right, I'm just trying to give you context for the Christmas story. Bethlehem, small, 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 small town. I mean, maybe like a, a Salisbury. I mean, it's a small town, small village, really. All right. And then Egypt, which part of the story happened, is about 75 miles uh, lower left corner. All right, so that's all part of the geography. Of course, they're walking or with, with a mule. All right, okay, let's go back to the passage. Just follow along as I read. And then we'll get your red pens out in a second. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. And we'll talk about King Herod in a minute. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw a star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem of Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, this is quoting from an Old Testament prophecy, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are not the least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so they can go and worship him too. All right, so Herod's in Jerusalem, capital city, King Herod, the wise men come there. 
it's, it's pretty clearly in, understood that this was after the birth of Jesus, maybe anywhere from six to 20 months after. So the manger scenes where the wise men are there with the shepherds really isn't historically accurate. It didn't happen that way, but it's just nice to kind of fast forward all of history and put it in one moment. But, and, and, and for that matter, we don't know that there were three wise men. There were three gifts. Some people think it could have been as many as 12 wise men. We don't really know. So anyway, Herod's sent them on their way to Bethlehem, just a few miles away. And then verse 9, after this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw, when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. So at this point, they're living in a home of some kind. They're not in the manger right now. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother. Again, 70 miles away by foot. The angel said, stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken to the prophet, I called my son out of Egypt. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken to the prophet Jeremiah. A cry was heard in Ramah, Weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children. All right, the, symbol, the, the thing there is Jacob, in the Old Testament, his wife was Rachel. Rachel was buried in the Bethlehem area. So that's why the comment about Rachel. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted for they are dead. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Get up, the angel said. Take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel because those who were trying to kill the child are dead. So Joseph got up and returned to the land of Israel with Jesus and his mother. But when he learned the new ruler of Judea was Herod's son, Archelaus, he was afraid to go there. Then after being warned in a dream, he left for the region of Galilee. So the family went and lived in a town called Nazareth. This fulfilled what the prophets had said, he will be called a Nazarene. All right, three questions, three, three why questions. Uh, if I were a consultant and I was consulting God about how to be God, three why questions I would ask him as to whether or not may, he may want to rewrite the story. All right. First question is this. Uh, why Herod? All right, get your red pen. And just as I'm talking, find all the times where Herod's name shows up in this one chapter story. And as you're doing that, let me tell you a little bit about Herod. Because again, if I were writing this story, if I would have written the script for this story... I would have figured out some way to keep Herod out of the story because he really, frankly, he messes it up. Let me tell you a little bit about Herod. Herod was named uh, the governor of, of the region when he was 25 years old. When he was 33 year old, three years old, he was elected as the king of the Jews by the Roman Senate. He saw himself as successor to King David. So he had a kind of a power ego issue, all right? This is Herod. When he was 35 years old, Soon after becoming king of the Jews, which is an elected office, all right, he executed numerous rivals to the throne, right? So right away, he's, he's a fearful of his throne. When he was uh, 41 years old, he appointed his nephew as the high priest, 
and a year later got upset with him and ordered him to be drowned. All right, this is Herod. This is part of the kind of nice polished Christmas story. When he was 48 years old, he told one of his aides to execute his wife if he didn't return from his trip because he was, Herod was going on a trip. He did return from his trip, but he was so upset he killed the aide anyway, and he had his wife killed anyway. And he also had his wife's mother killed. After that, he had deep regret and deep depression. Two years later, he executed his brother-in-law because he thought his brother-in-law was threatening his throne. He had a period of something, something later. It was 20 years later. He had two of his sons killed. He had them strangled. 300 soldiers tried to protect these two sons of his. They were killed as well because Herod was threatened about his throne. Uh, he had another son killed when he was 72. When, his, when Herod was 72, um, people would say, one of the sayings in that time was, it would be better to be Herod's pig than to be his son because he had so many of his sons killed. When Herod was about to die, he was convinced that people would not mourn his death. So what he did was he had all the nobles and an elite class of people rounded up and imprisoned, and the order was given that when I die, Herod said, they need to be all executed because I want people to mourn the day I die because they won't mourn for me. And instead... When he died, they didn't execute those people. As a matter of fact, Herod's death was then declared a day of feasting. All right? So this is the Herod. That's a little bit of a story. Now, granted, Jesus was born part away in that story, but that tells you what Herod was like. That tells you how much evil he's capable of. It said he was very disturbed that all this was going on. He has uh, soldiers go into Bethlehem and slaughter two-year-old boys or younger. All right? slaughter of children. Think of even a few weeks ago in Connecticut and just the senselessness of it all. In this case, it was government ordered. So my question for God is, why does Herod show up in the story? Why does he have to be there? It messes up the story. You don't see Herod in any manger scenes, do you? You don't see Herod standing off to the side. You don't see any Roman soldiers off to the side with a sword. You don't see that. Perhaps Herod's in the story of Jesus' birth because we need to know that there was an enemy to the work of God. And perhaps Herod's in the story, there's an enemy in the story because you and I have an enemy in our story. Maybe that's what God wants us to know from this. Because Jesus' life, his birth started with genocide. People, other children were getting killed. Herod shows up so much in this story, maybe it's because our enemy shows up in our story more than we think. All right? So that was my first question, why Herod? Second question is this. Why joy and sadness? Now, I want you to do this. I want you to look in verse uh, 10 and underline the phrase, filled with joy. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. All right? And then go up to the right column in verse 18 and circle weeping and great mourning. Because that's the response of the moms who had their babies killed. Now, we don't know exactly, but most uh, historians think there was probably anywhere between 20 and 30 baby boys that would have been killed. Given the size of Bethlehem, wasn't a real big town. So male children aged two and under, there were probably 20 or 30 young boys that were slaughtered by Herod's soldiers. All right? Any amount is awful. So 
Here's the question I have from this. Go to the next slide. I think I have a little line drawn between the two. Uh, no, go back, go back, go back. Here's the question I have from this. Why does joy and deep sadness have to occur in this story? Why not just joy? Jesus, God, can you just give us a story that's just joy? I mean, why couldn't... Yeah, okay. Here again, I'm consulting with God here. God, I can see Herod in the story. That's okay, but does he have to do that? Can we just have Herod be disturbed and upset and furious? Why does he have to create pain and sadness among human beings? Why does the birth of Jesus have to be associated with the massacre of 20 to 30 innocent little boys? Why is that? Why does joy and sadness have to go together? And again, I, perhaps, perhaps joy and sadness go together because in my life and your life, life, joy and sadness go together. That you cannot live a life escaping the sadness because we live in a broken world, but yet there is joy because Jesus is here. And how do you live a life where you experience and in a sense embrace sadness? I don't mean looking for ways to be sad or depressed, but how do you also live with the reality of Christmas? I mean, you read the stories about the Connecticut situation and the town actually took all the Christmas decorations down because they didn't know how to deal with that, you know, little caskets and Christmas trees. And whether, they, that, whether that was good or bad to do that, I'm not making any judgment on that. It's just the reality of we don't know what to do with that tension. And I've, you know, I've mentioned before, my guess is some of you, maybe, maybe many of us, have reasons for, a lot of reasons for joy, but some of you may have reasons for sadness during the holiday season. Shattered relationships, shattered dreams, shattered hopes, shattered expectations, but yet you feel like you're supposed to be joyful and happy, and yes, Jesus has come to the earth, which he has, but sometimes we don't know how to deal with those two emotions in tension. Some of you have had hard lives. Some of you have made poor decisions that have led to hard lives. Some of you have hard lives or hard things happen simply because that's just what happened to you, and maybe not, none, no fault of your own. Maybe joy and sadness exist in the story of Jesus at Christmas, because living a life of both understanding joy and sadness is what your life and my life is like. And that somehow your joy and my joy is related to your experience also. It's related to your uh, ability to be sad. And uh, you know, I'm not trying to be, let's go get sad so you can be joyful. But it seems like in scripture, uh, there's the depth of joy that someone has is somehow congruent to the depth of sadness they've experienced. And because we live in a world that's that way. But that's one of these questions, again, if I were to rewrite the Christmas story, if I were to rewrite Matthew chapter 2, if I was sitting in a room with God, or for that matter, with Matthew, I would probably just say, can we just edit those parts out about the babies? Can we leave that out? Because it would be nice just to leave that out of the story. All right, one other question. I think it's interesting about this story. And that's why the dreams... I underline them up there, and you might find all the times the word dreams appear in the story. Because it's interesting how much God used supernatural means of a dream to communicate in this story. We didn't even include chapter 1, but in chapter 1, Joseph was told in a dream, you remember, that Mary was pregnant because the Holy Spirit uh, had done that in her life. And if you remember, Joseph was considering whether or not to divorce Mary. So the angel tells Joseph in a dream, no, it's okay to marry her. Well, then, in this part of the story alone, 
The wise men are told in a dream not to go back to Herod. Joseph's told in a dream, get up. Herod's coming to Bethlehem to kill the children. And what do we read? That Joseph got up in the middle of the night with Mary and the baby and left. They get to Egypt. Joseph's told in a dream, okay, it's okay to go back. Herod's dead. But yet one of Herod's sons was still ruling. So in another dream, God told Joseph to leave that part of the country and go somewhere else. Why is it that in this, in this chapter, if you add chapter 1, there's five times where a dream is used by God to communicate to people in the midst of the Christmas story. That's what we often call here at Exodus, weird meter stuff. The weird meter is kind of strange, like, does God still do that? Does God still speak in dreams? Does he speak in, or at least can we at least say, God speaks in supernatural ways to us today. Maybe, this, maybe, the, maybe God spoke through dreams and gave direction through that because maybe our story, there's more supernatural things happen than we know. We always talk about the invisible world here at Exodus. The invisible world is all over this chapter, not, even, not apart from the virgin birth, but you have all kinds of other things happening behind the curtain that was part of the Christmas story, that was part of the, the, the rescue, the, the story of Jesus coming to earth. In the midst of all that, let's go to the last question, which maybe is the bigger question, and, uh, and the obvious question, and I just put it up there, why Jesus? Now, I, I, don't, I don't mean why is Jesus in the story, but amidst all the questions I have, and you might have about, okay, why Herod, why joy and sadness, why evil, why supernatural stuff, why, 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 because it, those things do rattle our lives, and it makes our lives... We have, to, we have to recalibrate our understanding of Christianity because it's not as smooth and simple and clear-cut. It's not formulaic. There's all kinds of other stuff we got to consider. But the bottom line of Christmas, it's about the story of Jesus. And early in chapter 1, go to the next slide. The reminder we have from all of this is that Jesus came not simply to get us into heaven after we die. Jesus came, the angel told Joseph, because he would save us from our sin. He would rescue us. And he came because human beings, which include you and me, were in desperate need and are in desperate need of God's presence with us in our lives. So in the end of all my questions, the end of all your questions, the end of all sometimes what, what we wish about the Christmas story, the my conclusion is simply this. I, I need Jesus. I don't need answers to all my questions. I need to know that the spirit of Jesus is in me. The spirit of Jesus is with me. As I'm navigating through the sadness in life, the joy in life, the people in my life that show up in my story that I really would not rather be in my story, right? I don't have a Herod in my life, but maybe some of you do. Maybe you have people in your life that are messing up your story, Maybe you have joy and sadness in your story. Maybe you wish the way God talked to you wasn't quite so invisible as it was. But in the midst of all that, what we do know is I'm in desperate need of the spirit of Jesus inside of me. I'm in desperate need of someone, Jesus, rescuing me from the selfishness of my own life so I can navigate through life and being the kind of person who's alive, awake, and free because of what he can do in my life. 
Maybe that's why. So the, the other questions are still important questions. They're good to ask those questions because you have those things. You have those issues in your life. But the bottom line is Jesus, the angel tells Joseph, Jesus came because God was going to be with us. And if I have nothing else, I have what I need with the spirit of God through Jesus with me as I navigate through life, as I navigate through being the kind of person who's free, who's alive to God, and who becomes a blessing to other people. So amidst all your questions, which are good questions, ask those questions, dissect the Christmas story in a sense, um, throw away your expectation that Christmas will be a hallmark manger scene, but follow Jesus with all your heart because he will uh, guide you through all of that. Uh, let me pray. Jesus, I, uh, I know there's people here today who maybe even are cynical about you. I know there's people here who maybe have questions about you. I know there's people here who um, are excited about what you're doing in their lives. There's all kinds of stories happening here. But Jesus, what every one of us needs to know desperately is that we need you. We need you to save us from our sins in this life, not just for the next life, but in this life. And we need you to be with us. And God, we are so grateful that you sent Jesus to be that for us so we can be the kind of people you've designed us to be, fully alive in you. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. We do, we uh, take communion every week at Exodus. And we do it not, not simply out of tradition, but we do it out of the understanding that even from the passage,